Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. There is a continuing concern about domestic abuse, domestic violence, not just in the home with adults. But there is abuse in schools and in teen relationships, and that is why they have created an entire month, February, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Women in Distress takes care of not just adults, but teens, children, whoever needs the assistance. And Emily Janis, who is the Education and Prevention Manager, is the person to tell us what's happening with Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Emily, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for highlighting this issue. Well, I know how important it is. And you know what I'm really curious about? We talk about domestic violence awareness in October. And yeah, we talk about teen dating violence. But what really is the difference between the two? I'll say, so a lot of the dynamics are the same. They're both about power and control. Both can be just as serious. A lot of the times I think as adults, we think, well, they're younger. They may be less serious relationships. And in some cases that may be true, but it doesn't mean the abuse they experience or the dynamics in the relationship is any less real. So really the primary difference is just kind of how folks respond to it and the environment they're experiencing it. And if you think about a minor going through a dating violence relationship, they might not have access to some of the same resources and options as an adult. The other kind of bigger difference is that often minors aren't living with their abuser, like we sometimes see in adult relationships. But outside of those, kind of the age difference, a lot of the dynamics, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse is the same and is just as serious. And that's something that a lot of people you know, don't understand, but that we need to start understanding as public so that we can make sure to support youth who are going through this and take what they're going through seriously. Is it more difficult for people to believe a teenager? Is there more of a likelihood for someone to say, oh, they're just being a drama queen? Yeah, a lot of the times. And again, we think teenage years, hormones, they're, you know, school, when we're thinking about, you know, folks being in that social environment, it's so immediate, there's peer pressure. Um, I do think as adults, sometimes we, and even other teenagers, um, will sort of look at it as, well, you know, dating violence, domestic violence doesn't happen to folks like us. This is just something, you know, I hear the word toxic a lot in schools and on social media. And it's really important for us to realize that, no, again, these might not be as serious relationships, quote unquote, but the actions that are happening and the feelings that are happening are absolutely real and need to be validated. And we need to be able to support those teens going through that. Now, when you say you hear it in the schools, are you still doing presentations in schools? We are, yeah. So we have at Women in Distress um, a primary prevention team, which I'm so grateful that we've invested in because it's so important that we're talking to kids in schools. So we still primarily work with middle school and high school students throughout Broward County. And we go into their classrooms and talk with them about um, not even just dating violence abuse, but also healthy relationship qualities. We want to make sure they have the chance to become aware of this issue, become aware of the resources that are available to them, and really start to think about how to practice healthy relationships that we can start preventing violence. So we are 
definitely still out in the schools and are so grateful to have the support of a lot of teachers and a lot of schools throughout the district. I really love the focus on healthy qualities. One of the things I remember my sister talking about, uh, she's the one with all the kids in the family, (laughs) and, and how when you tell a child no, their first desire is to do exactly what you've said no to. So when she wanted them to do something or stop doing something, she would always phrase it in the positive as, I want you to walk rather than stop running. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think the same thing could have a really huge impact on teens when you're teaching them, here's what's healthy rather than here's what you shouldn't do. Exactly. Because when you learn about what shouldn't happen or what to avoid, that is helpful and that's great. But if you have nothing to replace it with, outside of the psychology that you're talking about, if folks often respond better to something to do and to practice, even separate from that, if if you don't have anything to replace it, you might be able to point to a behavior and say, that's bad, that's harmful, that's not okay. But if you don't have anything to replace it and you're not seeing any other examples, you might not have any other options or might not know how to navigate that. So we find that really digging into things like what are your boundaries and how do you know your boundaries? How do you communicate them? How do you listen effectively? How do you, you know, show respect to a partner? How do you practice consent? All of those things are key elements that they can then take in practice. So even if they don't remember all the warning signs we talked about, they'll be able to kind of see, well, that's not okay because that's not what I learned is healthy. And this is the behavior I know that I want to practice. And that sounds like the same kind of guidance you could give in any relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic adult relationship, or parents even listening to children and setting healthy boundaries with their kids and listening to them. Absolutely. I I love that you bring that up because a lot of the times, you know, we do try to talk with parents. Um, We want parents to feel supported in this and understand that, you know, that's often one of the best supports for kids going through this is that their parent understands and can help them. And a lot of parents, you know, may say to us, well, what if I don't want my child dating? Or, you know, I've told them that they're not allowed to date until 16, 18, whatever it is. We always say, we're not here to tell you how to parent. That is absolutely (laughs) your decision. Um, But A, it doesn't mean that they're not going to see it in school and around them and on social media. And B, it's really important to model these behaviors because, as you said, it does apply to every relationship, even the relationship with ourselves. Yeah, really. Um, I can remember, <laughs> I, yeah, I used to, and this is, a, it sounds like a silly little thing. I had this habit, if I would make a mistake or say something silly, I would literally, you know, like hit my forehead, hit myself on the forehead. <laughs> and someone pointed it out and they said, would you do that to a friend? I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So I started really paying attention to it. And it's true. We do need to pay attention to how we treat ourselves. And now I hear other people when they talk about, oh, I was really bad today. I ate 27, you know, whatever. I'm like, there is no bad or good. It's just how were you today? But what are you seeing? What is like the emotional state of teens right now? Because I keep hearing that they still many people have not really come back in full from the pandemic, from being separated from social situations. Yeah. I mean, in schools, obviously, most kids are back in schools physically and they're back to that environment. But a lot of the kids that are currently in middle school and high school did have those years, those two to three years of fully remote learning, missing out on graduations and things like that. And so, You know, what we're hearing a lot is there's a lot of mental health, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of kind of figuring this out when you're going through those life changes, those hormonal changes, those personality changes. You know, it's tough to navigate on its own when you add in a pandemic where you lost key years of social engagement and practicing those skills. It's even harder. So in talking to youth, you know, they are very self-aware. They have the language to speak about these issues and their mental health. It's just, 
giving them a safe environment to do that and enhancing the language that they have. So often when we're in schools, and I was just talking to my team about this the other day, it's kids are very open to learning these things and to start applying them in their world. They just need the spaces to do that. And some of the pandemic kind of interrupted that for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of those issues are kind of coming back up. But you know, us being able to talk with their teachers, us being in the classroom with them, them knowing resources, helping them identify trusted adults, all of that can help mitigate that impact. Is there a generational difference in the language where you say they they understand the language of healthy relationships and emotional issues, and then you've got an older generation where it wasn't okay for so long to say, oh, I'm depressed or I don't feel right, And they'd say, oh, just sleep on it and you'll be fine in the morning. So how can teens navigate that with an adult who doesn't, you know, who who is their trusted person? You know, they feel safe with them, but they can't really talk in the language that they need to. Yeah, a lot of it is helping them identify feelings. I do think even though things have luckily changed and there's a lot less stigma around mental health kind of generationally, as you mentioned, I think it's still, when you say things like depression and anxiety, it still brings up sort of clinical feelings or something like, well, what's wrong with you or what's wrong that you're experiencing that? Instead of look at everything that's going on in our world, look at, you know, what these kids have experienced, what we've experienced, look at all, you know, unfortunately, this is still an issue and so many other things. Um, So for us, when we're in schools and we're thinking about this, we often find that helping kids and, and adults even identify feelings and talk through their experiences part of good communication that we teach in relationships and we talk about in our programming. Um, Even things like I statements, you know, I feel this way when this happens. That might be different than, you know, I feel depressed overall. We can help them identify, well, what's going on? How do we turn to talk about this? And then what can be the response? You know, sometimes sometimes folks just want to vent and that yeah. can provide that space for them, right? right. Uh, and sometimes folks want a solution. But I'll tell you, if you just want to vent and somebody comes back to you with solutions, it's not going to be a great interaction. right? Um, so kind of even what you were saying before about sort of how we treat ourselves, we often say to folks, think about if this was your best friend or you were experiencing this, what would you want to hear back? What would you, you know, want as a response? Because a lot of people get scared to say, oh, I don't know enough about dating violence. I don't know what I would do if my child was going through this. There is no exact right words. Often it's just, are you willing to show up? And I think creating those spaces and opening those conversations and helping kids and adults identify the language is helping to open up those conversations a lot. It sounds like there's a need for people to have a presence of mind almost all the time to really be conscious of the conversations they're having rather than the, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm great. Okay, bye. Sure. How many of us have said, I'm fine, uh, or, you know, I'm doing good, and we might be having an awful day, or we might be struggling with something. Now, you know, maybe it's the cashier at public, um, and it's not appropriate to go into all that, but, you know, our coworkers, our parents, our friends, you know, we're so ready to kind of paper over things, um, and that just harms us in the long run a lot of the time. Is there advice you can give to a parent who you know, has just come home from work, they're busy, they're trying to fix dinner, and, you know, they want a little bit of time alone, and here comes a teenager with a problem, and the tendency might be to go, you know, just kind of, it's in one ear, it's out another, and they're sort of half paying attention. How can they remind themselves to stop down for a minute and really listen and really give their ear and their mind and their heart to the child? Sure. I think, you know, 
think about it like taking care of your child's needs in the moment. You might be in parent mode of taking care of my child looks like cooking dinner and getting that settled and getting them, making sure they're doing their homework, right? And so you're in go mode. You're back from work. You're exhausted, but dinner's getting ready and you're doing it. But maybe what your child needs and what taking care of needs is more than dinner right at that moment. It's, hey, mom, I need to talk. Hey, dad, I need to talk for a second or giving them that space. I think we have to look at Look at taking care of our kids again, giving them a chance for us to validate their emotions and their feelings. And even if we don't understand, asking questions. A lot of the youth that we talk to say they sort of feel like adults make assumptions about what they're experiencing, even when they are very clear about talking about it. One of the best things to show a child, whether it's your child or just another person in your life that you care, is ask. Don't assume. You know, if they're sharing something with you or they seem off, say, hey, you know, you don't seem like yourself or, you know, I know you had that test today. You seem a little down. What's going on? How did that go? And then really listen for the answer. And I imagine there's a fair amount of comparison thinking, well, when I was your age, I didn't have blah, 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 blah. And so it could be easy to dismiss. So what are signs that parents can look for that something is not right, aside from their teenager or however old the child is saying, you know, mom, I'm having an issue, dad, can I talk to you? Sure. Um, A lot of it is doing the work beforehand of just constantly reminding your child implicitly and explicitly, we're here for you. We want to be a safe place for you without judgment. We might have to deal with some consequences, but we'd rather you come to us. And that opens that. So hopefully the child does say something. But even before they do, um, you know, looking for behavior changes, if they're more withdrawn, if they're going out a lot more, if you know that they're dating, but maybe, you know, now they're always on their phone. You know, now they're sharing their location with their partner. Their partner's always picking them up and now is taking them to school. You know, sometimes with teenage relationships, especially ones where they go to school together, they can feel really intense at first. And that's okay to a point. But if it's really intense, really fast, um, you know, checking in with the child and, and just looking for that level of intensity and just feeling for a teenager to feel like they constantly have to be in communication or there's like an inkling of that possessive jealousy. That's one of the most common dynamics and abusive relationships that we see, particularly with young people around the jealousy and around the technology. So some behavior changes, being on the phone a lot. That's really different from what we hear in adult domestic violence cases where we hear, okay, watch for someone who's wearing long sleeves in the summer, or if they're wearing sunglasses, they have heavy makeup because they're trying to cover physical bruises. Does it play out differently in a teen relationship where you say, okay, jealousy and that kind of control is a form of abuse. Am I hearing that it doesn't necessarily have to include physical violence? Absolutely. And I I love that you brought that up. Those sorts of things, teenagers, those are signs you can look for too. A lot of the time in abusive relationships, particularly with teens, that possessive jealousy and the emotional abuse will show up first. And so if we can be attuned to that first, we can often be a little bit more proactive and aware about it. But if that child does start wearing things to cover up potential injuries or making excuses that don't make sense and excuses for their partner, for their friends, that could be a sign as well. So we see some similar dynamics, and I'm really glad you brought that up. Physical abuse can absolutely happen in teen dating violence relationships, but we really want to be more attuned and open to the emotional piece because that's what we miss the most often. That's often not what we think about when we think of the word violence, but that's a really big chunk of what most teen dating violence victims experience. So what can a parent do? You know, we know about the threat. I'm taking your phone away, which is more of a punishment for what can be interpreted as a behavior that, well, you're just spending too much time on the phone. 
and not realizing that there's something on the other end that's causing that behavior. Right. And I I say with this one, remember that you're on the same team with your teenager. There may need to be some accountability and some behavior changes, but at the end of the day, if you're putting their safety first, you want to remind yourself of that. So it's often, again, starting a conversation, saying, hey, I'm really concerned. I see that you're on your phone so much. You're spending a really a lot of time with this person. I know you might be really excited about this relationship. How do you feel about the pace that it's going? Often it starts with those questions. Now, there are times when it, you, know, you may have to intervene if the child discloses that, yes, I'm not actually that comfortable with how this is going, or I feel like I'm in really deep, or you know, I don't love, I don't feel like I'm really being respected, or I, I don't know how to Sometimes they don't have the language to talk about it. That's where as parents, you can go in and say, well, what kind of support do you need from us right now? That's often the best way to approach it. And sometimes it's just, can I talk to you about it? You know, I'd like to change my schedule at school. Is there a way that you can drive me to school instead of me taking the bus? Um, Things like that, that again, make teen dating violence a little different than adult domestic violence because they don't have as much ownership and autonomy over their daily lives because they're minors. Right. Um, So as parents, offering those concrete solutions or steps can really help. And then, you know, offering to reach out to a resource like Women in Distress. And let's give that hotline number now as long as you're bringing it up. Sure. Yeah. The hotline number is 24-7-365. It's going to be 954-761-1133. Okay. Now, when we're talking again about teens in relationships, as teens get into, you know, 15, 16, the later teens, Every now and then you find someone who gets into a relationship with someone who's an adult. And I'm not necessarily talking about a pedophile relationship, but someone who may be 20 and it seems like, oh, they're not too old. But the fact is they are an adult. And does the parent still have the ability or does it change the way they can intervene? Absolutely, because then that becomes potentially a legal issue if there's any sort of sexual part of the relationship. And that would be, you know, generally concerning, I think, when we look at the difference between the maturity overall and just, the, again, the access to resources and ownership over their lives from a 16-year-old to a 20-year-old. You know, in adult relationships, the difference between a 30-year-old and a 34-year-old might not be so pronounced. (laughs) But when you're thinking 16 to 20, of course, that's a lot different. So, you know, as parents, definitely, again, involving saying, hey, you know, keep me in the loop. We care about you. We don't want you to get hurt. We want you to be safe. Um, We want you to feel like you can come to us. And then potentially intervening, you know, depending on the situation. But I would say generally those relationships are, you know, a little bit a a little bit uh, difficult and could easily get into a slippery slope. You know, we, we do know domestic violence and dating violence is all about power and control and someone misusing and abusing via power and control. And so when you have that age difference, like a 16 to a 20 year old, there's a natural power dynamic already that that 20 year old may exploit. And they're definitely at higher risk in that situation. So that would definitely be a a general cause for concern. So what do you teach the kids in schools about healthy relationships? Let's have a class. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I mean, I approach it and my team, uh, we we find, again, start with what they know because they, they often know a lot. And we want to speak to what they're already seeing. We want to enhance what they're seeing in their world because if it applies to their environment and their lived experience, they're more likely to apply it and see how it applies. So I often ask them, what do you think are the ingredients of a healthy relationship? And often we get things like respect and good communication, things that your listeners might be thinking of, right? Boundary setting, which are all true and great. The next step is asking them to define what those mean. So Mm. we start asking, well, what does respect look like? How do you show respect to someone else? That's where they get stumped. Um, And that's really what we can start to get into. So we'll say things like, well, respect might look like 
um, you know, if you want to kiss your partner and your partner's not ready to take that step into the relationship, just say, okay, we're not going to kiss yet. Or maybe if, if I know I need that or I'm disappointed in that, I'm not going to push you and pressure you and guilt you into that. I'm going to either decide this is the right relationship for me and respect my own boundaries and, and maybe leave, or I'll stay and I'll wait until you're ready. But I'm going to respect your decision. And are there red flags that are something other than just the opposite of respect and good communication? <laughs> sure. A lot of it is kind of what I was even just saying, the guilting. Um, I think so often, you know, we think of boundary breaking or abuse as like these people that are monsters or they're, you know, really aggressive. And that's not necessarily true. We think about how big these issues are. One in three teens will experience teen dating violence. Um, so these are not folks on the outliers of society. Often what abuse and warning signs for abuse start to look like is somebody saying, but if you really loved me, you mm. would. If you really cared about me, I don't know why you're making such a big deal about this. Um, it'll just be one time. You know, all these kind of excuses that don't, you know, coercion doesn't have to be a threat. It can, but often coercion sounds more like that. And even using peer pressure, everybody does this. What do you think people are going to say about us around school? They're not going to really take us seriously. Aren't you proud to have me as a partner? Why won't you hold my hand in the hallway? Things like that. So that, that sense of pressuring, pushing your boundaries, making you feel bad for having the boundaries that you do have, those are all big warning signs that may not seem so obvious if we're not talking about it. And how does social media play into all of this? complicated. <laughs> I wish there was an easy answer to that question. I will say when we talk to teens, again, social media is a part of their lives, whether, you know, and that's the way of the world. And I, at the end of the day, it's a tool, right? It's a technology. It's neither inherently good or bad. It just is. It's how we utilize it. So a lot of, unfortunately, the examples of relationships and behavior and the norms that they're seeing on platforms like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat do kind of promote, you know, again, the possessive jealousy the kind of loyalty past, you know, I'm making this commitment with this person, but loyalty to, well, now I'm not even going to look at other people. Now, you know, you have to have my phone password. It's kind of setting setting pretty extreme norms that are making those things seem healthy and normal. So it has had, we hear from teens that, you know, they, they hear about situations like that, things that are unhealthy that they might not have otherwise realized, even in things like song lyrics. But we also hear from them, you know, there are content creators out there who are using the platform for good and are talking about red flags or talking about things like gaslighting. I'll tell you, even since I've done this work, I've been at WID a little over six years now, which doesn't seem like a long time in, in the span of things. But when you think about how fast social media and technology has advanced, when I first started working with middle schoolers, they almost never knew what the word gaslighting meant and hadn't uh, heard of it. Mm. Um, and today you walk into middle school and high school classrooms, they almost all know. And it's because of social media, I think, in big part, that they're getting acquainted with those terms in a, in a very healthy and, and educational way. So I think overall, it's, it's probably had a bit more of a negative effect, but there are, there are good things coming from it, too. So is that something that parents should also be setting boundaries with? And is it okay for them to look at their child's feed and see what they're doing or their text messages? Yeah, I think, again, thinking that they're on the same team as their child, it's best when it's collaborative and when the parent can say, hey, this is why I want to, you know, keep tabs on this. I'm, you know, I know there's a lot on social media. I trust you to make good decisions, but I, I want to be informed about what you're seeing. You know, if it's a situation where they're worried about their teen's behavior, you know, that's up to them as a parent um, to make that decision and, and to support their child. Uh, but often it's best when it's collaborative because then they, it can also be a conversation starter of even movies, you know, hey, what did you think about the way uh, that relationship in that film or that TV show? 
Um, do you think that's realistic? Do you see things like that in school? Those are often the best ways to, to start, you know, really emphasizing healthy norms. I always say we can, we can only control what we can control. And often that's our own behaviors and our own conversations. But what that's so interesting is when you talk about it, you're always phrasing what the parent can do in terms of what do you think? Asking the teen, what is their viewpoint? What do they feel about it? As opposed to saying, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. What about you? Uh, You know, rather than imposing their own opinion first. Sure. Well, think about it like this. And I actually used to do this as a facilitator a lot when I would be in trainings. If I say, you know, um, isn't this crazy? Like this statistic, it happens to so many kids, right? Um, (laughs) Even if you disagree or you're surprised, you want to follow the rules. You want to please the instructor. And as as kids, especially, they're in in so many situations where to succeed in class, they have to do what the teacher asks, right? Or they're trying to get approval from their parents. So they might agree without thinking critically about it or agree because they think it's the right answer. We frame our curriculum and we hope that parents are able to take these conversations and really think about you really want to know what your child is thinking and what they're seeing, don't come into it with any preconceived notions and don't make them feel like there's a right or wrong answer. You can guide them in a conversation, but we want to open it up. That's like a classic sales technique. (laughs) Make a statement and go, (laughs) right? Don't you agree? (laughs) Mm, Yeah. And that's, we don't, we don't want to lead, right? We don't want to do those leading questions when it comes to really changing behavior. But yeah, good point. You know, I've noticed when I've been at the airport, if you go into a restroom, there are signs in stalls now about human trafficking and there are messages over the PA system about human trafficking. Is there a correlation between teen dating violence and human trafficking or are they just two completely different issues? Um, there's a Venn diagram. There's a, there is a connection between the two issues. They, they can happen in isolation. They can happen separately, but both are kind of rooted in that coercion. Right. And so a lot of the same again techniques of, but if you really loved me, but if you were serious about this, it's not it's not any big deal. Um, this will be a good thing for you. You know, it's it's the same kind of pressure and guilting. And human trafficking is very serious with teenagers, including unfortunately sex trafficking. So the issues are related, but they're not necessarily connected all the time. So during February, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Does Women in Distress have anything in particular planned or anything you would like us as the public to do to help increase awareness? Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for asking and for the platform. On February 6th, Tuesday, if that is National Wear Orange Day. And orange is a tough color for a lot of folks. People will often ask questions if you're wearing it. That's one of the best kind of small, safe ways to, to build awareness. Even if it's just a small orange pin, if it's an orange shirt, something, uh, wearing orange that day, even sharing it on social media, if you'd like, is a great way to spread awareness and make sure folks know that this is a real issue and that you're in support of of violence-free communities. Additionally to that, um, we do have a workshop that we're going to be hosting for any adult in the community who's interested in learning more about this topic and how to support youth. Um, It's an In Their Shoes Teen Dating Violence Awareness Workshop. That's going to be Wednesday, February 21st at 5 p.m. at the North Regional Library in Coconut Creek. And that information and the registration is on our website. Are there particular hashtags? Um, Let's say we go ahead and wear some, we find an orange that's good for us. (laughs) (laughs) Which is tough. Yeah, (laughs) but there are some good shades. Uh, It depends on the season. But anyway, um, (laughs) is there a particular hashtag? Even if we, you know, don't just want to put like an orange circle around our profile picture, if we, you know, do an orange circle. Sure. Yeah. We love, you know, TDVAM. 
kind of a long acronym, so it's easier to write it that way, but TDVAM 2024. Again, folks might even respond and say, what does TDVAM stand for? And then you actually get a conversation out of it. We're also doing the hashtag relationship goals. So that was a hashtag, if you remember, a little bit ago on social media when, you know, a couple would post a really nice photo and say, you know, relationship goals or from a movie or something. Uh, We're really using that to promote healthy relationships, that respect is relationship goals, good communication is relationship goals. So you can also hashtag that as well. Okay. And one final question. You mentioned earlier about having a safe person who you can talk to. Are there people, let's start with school. Who do you go to? Often at schools, it can be a trusted teacher. Um, that may be a teacher of a favorite subject. It might be a coach. It might be uh, you know, an extracurricular teacher. You can also go to guidance counselors. There are a lot of, um, and luckily in Broward County public schools, a lot of schools have school social workers. So there are those support staff as well as teaching staff who if a student felt comfortable, they could approach them and get connected to resources or even just have a space to talk and to get some support. And is it okay for teens to call the hotline number, or do you find that they feel like it's up to an adult to make make that call on their behalf? Yeah, I think for teens going through this, they often feel like, what can I do as a young person, as a minor? Teens can absolutely call our hotline, um, and they can also get services with us in our outreach center. So we work with teens who are the primary victims where they're experiencing the violence in their relationship, um, and we can actually work with teens who are 13 and older up to two times confidentially before we then have to get parent or guardian permission. So teens can absolutely seek our services, and then we, you know, we often try to partner with the parent or guardian as well for, to support them. But um, teens can call our hotline anytime just to talk, to get additional resources, and also to seek services with our center. I feel like a just giant, big ah, sigh of relief went up amongst all the teens. Yeah. <laughs> who were, oh, yay, I can talk to someone and nobody has yeah. to know. I can get at least a couple of conversations and some guidance. So again, the phone number is 954-761-1133. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about teen dating violence or teen dating violence awareness month? Um, the kind of what you just said, I think knowing that th- what is happening is real, that your feelings and your perspective matter, that you can be the change for someone else. Hopefully it'll never happen to you, but you know, if it's happening to someone else, you can also be that friend and support. You don't have to worry about having the right thing to say. Often it's just saying, I'm here for you. What do you need? And the last piece is outside of our hotline and our information, which of course, like we just said, we're open to help and just to talk. If um, there's anyone out there who's more comfortable texting, there's a great website called loveisrespect.org. They have a text line as well as an online chat and some really great resources. So um, Women in Distress and Love is Respect are both awesome resources, and there are folks out here that want to help and, and that believe you. And um, if I'm cool. correct, Women in Distress has changed their website. What is the new site? Correct. Yeah. So it is now WID, W-I-D, Broward.org. And just know that it doesn't matter where you are. You are more than welcome to access that website and call 954-761-1133. Doesn't matter how old you are, if you're a young person, a teen, an adult, if you need the support, if you're concerned about a relationship, make the call. It's the best first step you can take to improving a situation that's not working. 
Emily Janice, you're just, I, I love talking to you every year. You inspire me and you give me comfort knowing that our young people and our adults have a place to go and someone to talk to where they can really be safe and change their life in a way that will work better for them. Thank you so much. Thank you for highlighting this issue and for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-S-1-E, at cmg.com. You can also leave comments on our open mic feature on our app that you can download from the iTunes or App Store. We'd love to know what you think. And please join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus. Have a great day. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.